Welcome to the Long Thread Podcast about spinning, stitching, and weaving by hand. The podcast is presented by Long Thread Media, publishers of Spinoff, Handwoven, Piecework, and Little Looms magazines. Find us online at longthreadmedia.com. Trainway Silks is where weavers, spinners, knitters, and stitchers find the silk they love. Select from the largest variety of silk spinning fibers, silk yarn, and silk threads and ribbons at trainwaysilks.com. You'll discover a rainbow of colors thoughtfully hand-dyed in Colorado. Love natural? Trainway's array of wild silks provide choices beyond white. If you love silk, you'll love Trainway Silks, where superior quality and customer service are guaranteed. I'm your host, Longthread Media co-founder Anne Merrow. Josefin Woltin is a spinner whose work celebrates the rich traditions of Swedish textiles. She's a knitter and a weaver, but primarily a spinner who uses almost exclusively the heritage breeds of Swedish sheep. Josefin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, I follow you on Instagram, which is partly for the wonderful work you do, but also partly because every morning you take a dip in a frozen body of water. I do, every morning. And what keeps you warm seems to be a wool hat. Do you have a different one for every occasion? Uh, No, not really. Uh, I do have a swim cap, uh, which is quite warm. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I have socks and mittens uh, in the tub. Really? You wear them in in with you? Yes, bikini, socks and mittens and a hat. (laughs) I suppose that's one of the amazing properties of wool is that it works even when it's wet. Yes, definitely. (laughs) That just seems like such an amazing pairing. And... You did mention to me that it's not just while you're in the water that you are warmed by wool. Do you, did you tell me that you have a, a particular pair of pants that you often wear to go? Yes, to go jump in a lake. Uh, I do. <laughs> I knit a pair of. It's it's um, originally a pair of snow shoveling pants from the uh, High Atlas of Morocco, and they're described in Irene Wagoner's book Keepers of the Sheep. And it's a tradition in, in this area in Morocco that few people remember how to knit today, but she, she found it in a museum and, and found people, men, who knit these. And she, uh, she talks about and she learns this, this technique that she describes in the book. And she has adapted the pattern because it's an orally taught pattern and she has uh, adapted it to a Western audience. So I, I did knit a pair of pants like those uh, in black and white wool. And when it's below perhaps six degrees minus in Celsius, I wear my snow shoveling pants when I go down to the lake. That is wonderful. And I do use a shovel, but that's to, to open up uh, the lid on the lake, the, the, the frozen lid. <laughs> so... What made you decide to to choose these particular high atlas snow shoveling pants? Because there was such a beautiful story behind them, uh, and, and the techniques that's quite different from from what I, as a Western knitter, has learned. And basically, they have black and white sheep, and the, I think it's the black that's most attractive and or sought after color because it's more unusual. And usually the women spin 
this yarn on sort of a floor spindle where they, they sit on the ground so it's the, it's not as tall as a Navajo style spindle, a bit shorter. And when they are finished one skein, one two-ply skein, they hand it to their husband who knits the pants. And they're striped within these black and white stripes and they have a really lovely way of carrying the black thread across the the black thread across the white stripe and vice versa, making sort of a, a flash pattern, a sweet construction. And they're made by trial and error, or rather trying <laughs> trying them on an error. Uh, so you just start with an amount of stitches and then try it on knit a few rounds, try it on and try it on and try it on to, to and adapt it that way. So I, I knit both legs at the same time. And on these pants, I have used the first and the second fleeces of one sheep. Uh, her name is Gunvor. She's a Swedish Jestrika sheep. Mm-hmm. And she is a kind of breed that fades with age. So oh. the black stripes will have faded in the second shearing. Mm-hmm. And I have constructed them that way. So they fade parallel on the legs and up to the hips. And so I like the idea of following their process, spinning uh, a skein and then knitting it. And then I run out of yarn and then I spin some more. And that way I, I sort of understand the process or the, the the density of the process in a different way than I, I would usually do if I had spun all the yarn first and then knit. Uh, so it was quite exciting to work with it that way and also I didn't soak the yarn this is a big no-nos in in the spinning world and I I really wanted to do it as close to their original process as I possibly could so I carded Mm -hmm. spun plied and just made a skein out of it straight off the spindle I used a longer floor spindle a Navajo style spindle and spun a really thick yarn and two plied it and so it was really lovely to to be in that process of, of doing these steps after each other in one skein and then knitting it. It, it was a quite fast knit because it's such a bulky yarn, but it was really a lovely process. And when you say you didn't soak it, was it washed fleece or was it that you didn't soak it between plying and knitting? I soaked it to to, um, to wash it before I started mm-hmm. processing the wool, but not until after the, the pants were done for the next time so so soaking for washing the fleece and then soaking the uh, washing the finished pants and it was lovely to to have this uh, this sudden feeling to to knit with with the unwashed yarn kind of energized Mm -hmm. yeah and 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 also the lanolin smell it felt more more grounding it's interesting that you paired a traditional high atlas technique and pattern with swedish sheep and because i I think that you do a lot of work with different Swedish sheep breeds. Is that right? Yes. Uh, I, I use the breeds that I have close to me. That's how I started spinning in the first place. I learned about the fact that so much of Swedish wool was thrown or burnt or buried while at the same time importing tons and tons of New Zealand merino. Uh, so that's that's the, the core of my, my spinning interest that I wanted to, to save a tiny part of those fleeces. So I work with mainly Swedish fleeces and breeds. And what is the character of them like? Is there a range or are they? do they tend to have a particular set of traits that are very different from the imported merino? Uh, yes, they are quite 
compared to Merino, coarser, absolutely. Uh, some of them uh, very much coarser, but everything doesn't have to be soft and cuddly. We have mm-hmm. quite soft and fine breeds as well, but Swedish breeds have a range of qualities. You have these strong, lustrous wools, uh, and you have the fine, crimpy ones, you have the shiny ones, and there's quite a wide variety between breeds, within a breed, and even within the body of one single sheep, you can find like four or five different um, staple types and, and, and different fiber finenesses. So it's, it's, you can do, as a hand spinner, you can do very much uh, with the Swedish breeds. You know, I, I think that a lot of breeds like Icelandic and Shetland have started to get attention like that. But I haven't really heard as much about the variety of Swedish breeds and what you're talking about, the the traits that are, you might say, primitive or are unapproved, but that are not uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was actually a king in Sweden in the, I think, 18th century or even earlier that decided that the Swedish breeds were horrible because they were coarser than they wanted for weaving mills. So they imported British, Spanish, German breeds and wanted to basically uh, extinguish the Swedish breeds. The sheep didn't care. So there were a lot of <laughs> crossbreds. And the farmers didn't care because they needed all kinds of wool. For Earlier it was sails, but rugs and, and upholstery and, and all things you can imagine being made by wool, including clothing. But this uh, experiment, it, it lasted a few, a couple of hundred, hundred years, didn't work very well. And in the National Romantic era, in the beginning of the last century, they wanted to, to find these uh, lost or almost lost breeds again. And in the 1990s, they uh, found lots of, of uh, re-found lots of, of those 10 breeds that today are the uh, conservation breeds, heritage breeds we have today, plus all the other breeds as well. Uh, but there are 10 heritage conservation breeds that are have very unique features, but might not be the uh, most commercially working breeds. But for, for hand spinners, they are very interesting and unique. So for me, I, I, I just love having this smorgasbord, to use a Swedish word, of breeds to, to just um, explore basically. Mm-hmm. And that's what really drove you to become a spinner. Were you already a knitter or a weaver? I was a knitter. There is a picture of me when I was 15 knitting my first sweater in my, my aunt's garden in Austria. And it, it screams uh, the 80s. This was in 1985. <laughs> and I was knitting a lilac colored uh, sweater with penguin arms and a and, and, uh, boat neck. Um, so check, check, check. In mohair, check. I was going to say something fluffy. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so at fifteen, I knit my first real garment, really. And so I've been knitting since an early age. Everybody in in Sweden learns how to to knit and do other crafts in school. So that's where I learned. But then, learning to be a spinner is something that you generally have to go seek it out. Yes, yes. How did you happen to become a spinner? Uh, well, I talked to a friend and she had a friend uh, who had sheep and told us a story about uh, Swedish wool being burnt. And so I, I 
basically searched online after a course and I found one and my friend and I started and we're still spinners. Um, we started with, I got a box of newly shown Swedish finnul fleece, a pair of hand cards and a much too large spindle. And that's how I learned. So here you go, card it, spin it and have fun. <laughs> sure, have fun. I did. Good. <laughs> You know, actually, one of the first times that you and I worked together was on an article mm -hmm. for Spinoff about communicating your process on YouTube yes. and connecting with people through YouTube. Mm -hmm. What made you put up your first YouTube video? I was so fascinated by this whole process that I wanted to show it from this newly shown uh, fleece to a finished product. So I just did that. And I think that was mm -hmm. my first video. It got it um, was very popular uh, when it came out, and then since then I've made lots more. Yeah, yes, you have. <laughs> were you at all nervous to put yourself on YouTube as a spinner, or was it something that you were so excited about that you had to share it? I was really excited to share it. I, I have uh, an exhibitionist inside. I've <laughs> I've worked as a <laughs> sign language interpreter for eleven years, so so I'm used to having people watch me. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have a problem of being exposed like that because I was in charge. Yeah. And then you've talked about how you, you know, had a passion for traditional Swedish wools, but you've also used a pretty wide variety of, you know, spinning tools. And then we, mm -hmm. you know, we, we spoke about using a uh, Moroccan pattern. So it's sort of this connection between your heritage, but going in all sorts of different directions. Yeah. It's, it's always interesting to explore techniques from around the world and, and spindle types from around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, but I want to use mm -hmm. the, the, the rule we have here because it's so versatile and and I want to do this uh, sustainably uh, and not uh, send for... I, of course, I've, 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 I've bought uh, fleece, Shetland fleece from Shetland and Icelandic fleece from Iceland, but, but I want to stay as close as possible to, to, to me. Now, of course, there is a very rich tradition of knitting and weaving and spinning, including, for example, twine knitting, two-end knitting, or color work knitting. Mm -hmm. Do you tend to explore those in your work? Absolutely, yeah. I'm knitting a mm -hmm. pair of... What's your favorite? Uh, I think two-end knitting and uh, null binding, null binding. Oh, also nice. because I think I started learn both of them for the same reason as spinning, because it was they were techniques that were almost had almost been forgotten so i wanted to 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 be a part of saving the knowledge of those techniques and how do you say it again null binding or null binding null binding, null binding. i'm sorry i'm, I'm <laughs> butchering the, the pronunciation but null binding um that is something that's still pretty rare but it makes a very cool fabric yes it what does what do you use it for i usually uh, felt it or full it uh, so it, it, in itself the, the threads go uh, crisscross, so in itself it's quite warm and and uh, windproof. But when uh, when you uh, full it, it becomes like like an armor. Um, so and, and mm -hmm. it's also you can get it almost three dimensional because it's 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 shapeable and it's a technique that brings me very close to to the wool. I I hold the wool in my hand and I have a hand-carved wooden needle in my other hand. And I use my thumb as my gauge. So it's very mm -hmm. simple, very, very, not easy, but simple. 
uh, technique and it's also very portable. So, so I, I re- it's very, very slow. Both of these techniques, both two-end knitting and null binding is, are very slow, but that's a superpower. It brings me uh, more inward and, and into the process. So I, 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 I tend to like those uh, slow techniques. You know, null binding, it almost looks like chain mail. So it, it makes sense that it forms something that works like armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it has that, that looped structure. It really looks like those rings. Yeah. Are, um, yeah. yeah. You know, that's wonderful. I know that there was a, there's something video of, of slow knitting that people enjoy watching on YouTube, something that's meditative, but there's just, that seems so much less exciting than if you actually have your hands on it and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because it's, it's the warmth of the wool in your hand. And if you like with an, an all binding, you have a, a hand carved needle, you feel the, the workings of the carving knife on the needle mm-hmm. uh, so these natural materials that you hold so close and, and, and it's just you and wool and wood and what can go wrong uh, <laughs> but it, it takes me really close I don't to know the now process. I'm going to imagine <laughs> <laughs> it, it brings me very close to, to the process also, just like uh, with spindle spinning spinning um, compared to a spinning wheel to backstop weaving compared to a big loom the closer you are to the tools with your hands, uh, the closer, the more I understand the process and the closer I feel to to the wool and its origin and so on. So so these are important things to me to be to feel close in all aspects to the material and the tools. That's true. I hadn't thought about the fact that, that null bending, you have so much more contact with the wool than even through knitting yes. because, you know, knitting it flows through your hands. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's kind of one and done. You've it goes through, it goes over your finger and into a stitch and then pretty much you let it go Mm -hmm. as opposed to having it go around your thumb and then through and then, yeah. yeah. You know, you mentioned having closeness with the breeds and the traditions and you also wrote an article for for spinoff about discovering that you have a cousin who's a spinner. Yes. And then I learned that Kirsten Neumüller, who, whom I interviewed a few weeks ago is also a cousin of yours. I feel like (laughs) That there's sort of these these woolly links and threads that you have all over. Yes, and it's funny because I, I always thought that I have no connection with spinning. I have no connection with with crafts in my family. But then uh, mm-hmm. Cecilia, my, my second cousin, found me uh, through one of my mm-hmm. uh, online courses, uh, and she's very in, into the family. So she she recognized my maiden name, which is not. Her name, and it's it's a long story, but she she through her very geeky interests in the family, she understood who I was, and our mutual great grandmother uh, was a crafts teacher, and some of her like oh. eleven sisters or something. So so there is, I mean, if you go back far enough, everybody has mm-hmm. spinning in their family because every woman had to basically. So, and we found our mutual great-grandmother who was this crafts teacher. And I named one of my spinning wheels after her, Berta. Oh, so it sort of skipped a generation in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Kirsten is our third cousin. So there really is a very much a sense of place in what you study. Mm-hmm. And yet, here I am in the U.S. and Colorado. And part of the audience on YouTube is certainly not just in Sweden. Do you find that folks are coming to you because you have a kinship in fiber 
or are people interested in learning more about, you know, your Swedish fiber traditions, or is it some other sense of connection? I think the word kinship is uh, very suitable suitable here because I think it's it's this love for fiber uh, that's that's the common denominator. Uh, I decided from a very early stage when I started my blog, I decided to do it in English because I mean crafting is nerdy and textile crafts is even more nerdy and spinning is so slim a part of the cake. So I realized that if I would ever uh, have the possibility of, of earning a living from from my mm-hmm. YouTube videos and, and my business, I would have to do it in English. So when I started my blog, mm-hmm. it was in English and, and all my videos are in English. So by that, it's, it would be natural to, to, to reach at least some English-speaking people outside of Sweden. So that was a choice. Do you find that interest in those Swedish sheep breeds that you were interested in preserving is it working? Uh, does there seem to be more of a revival? Um, I do present a lot of Swedish breeds, but it's not mainly to to promote the Swedish breeds. It's more about uh, looking what you have close to you rather than than, than buying uh, fleece from around the globe and to, to find the, the characteristics of the fleece you have. And I do that by example from the places I have. So it's more about uh, exploring what you have close to you uh, than than, uh, the Swedish breeds per se. One of the things that we've started noticing among spinners, but even among knitters, is that there's a lot more interest in breed-specific, even commercially spun yarns, but breed-specific yarns. Among spinners, it's interest in fibers other than you know, say Merino or, or Merino's cousins. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious if that seems to be a broader interest in rediscovering those, particularly where you are. You mentioned that once upon a time, those fleeces tended to be, you know, burned or mm-hmm. thrown away. Mm-hmm. Is that getting better? Yes, definitely. There's still a lot of wool in Sweden being wasted, uh, but there is sort of a force of companies, organizations, and, and different wool-related uh, people and, and, and uh, connections that work for mm-hmm. Swedish wool. Uh, we have bigger brands that, I, I'm not sure how you pronounce this Swedish word in English. It, it's it's a, a brand, uh, Fjällräven, that has done a few, quite a few products with Swedish wools uh, and other Swedish brands that have limited edition series of perhaps a, a sweater in Swedish wool or, or, or one, one company that makes dog and horse covers made from Swedish crossbred wools. So there are on a very small scale because Swedish sheep are bred in on a very small scale. A large uh, flock in Sweden is 250 sheep or more. Mm. We don't have these thousands of sheep sheep farms. An average sheep farm in Sweden is might be about 30 or 50 sheep. So these are small scale businesses small-scale farms, and, and then you have to adapt the, the wool industry to that. Mm-hmm. So, so there are very a lot, lots of initiatives, but they have to you have to adapt it to the Swedish wool supply, uh, the, the reality of that. It does remind me of uh, a group in Portugal called uh, Osaber Phaser, mm-hmm. I think. Is, yes. Um, and they're trying to do something similar, maintaining the distinct 
Portuguese breeds and types of breeds. Mm-hmm. And, and in the U.S., among hand spinners that you can find flocks of Border Lester, flocks of Corydale, flocks of, you know, Bond, flocks of Jacob even. But there's sort of three scales. There's the very small scale having sort of a couple of each. Mm-hmm. Then there's the hand spinner's flock. And having something that really is a, a bigger ranch, they do tend to be, you know, if you have a thousand sheep, they're probably some sort of merino cross, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. But that sense of working from where you are, I'd like to think that that's something that's a general trend. I hope so. Yeah, so do I. So do I. Yeah. At the same time, you know, there's, I love what you're doing, so I want that. I love mm-hmm. what she's doing, so I want that. So, I mean, I mean it's, 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 Interesting to see. I mean, many, many, uh, especially uh, people in America, do want to buy Swedish fleece to try because I, I, have the, I, I host um, a series of, of breed study webinars on Swedish breeds, and, and then they, they yeah. ask me how how can I find this breed. So that is interesting, and it's nice to see Swedish breeds being in demand. But at the same time, I, I my, my main goal is, yes, I want to show the Swedish breeds that there is a, a very wide variety of, of um, characteristics, but also to, to have that inspire people to find what's available ar- around them. So then what's shared becomes the technique, the ethic, the sort of philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How many projects do you tend to have going at a time? Ooh, um, <laughs> I just wrote a blog post about that. Perhaps you read it. At the moment, I have quite a lot of projects, uh, both spinning and knitting and weaving and embroidery. Yeah. Uh, so at the moment, perhaps six or seven. Um, and I have them for different... That's not that many. Okay. Okay. Uh, I have them for different <laughs> purposes. I have uh, um, I, I knit my, my two knitted sleeves at work because it's, it's mm-hmm. quite portable and it's it's nothing that craves my attention like a lace shawl would uh i have one one project one weaving projects in project in the uh, local weaving room i have a band i'm weaving that i started on the train with a backstop loom and i have one project on my my uh, spinning wheel one on or two on spindles so so i use them for different purposes and for different contexts so they all have a place and and also i think some t- I, I don't want to work on a project where I've gotten bored. I want to mm-hmm. keep the curios- curiosity of that particular project. So when the, pro- the curiosity, curiosity is fading, I turn to another project and let it simmer for a while and then get back to it when, when I have that curio- curiosity again because it's, every project deserves my attention. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to keep doing it just because I want to have it done. I want to enjoy the process and, and be inspired by it but there's still a certain ambition involved with for example knitting a pair of pants that's not a i'm just going to knit this for that there's a a definite goal and it's a fairly substantial project yes definitely you're not afraid to take on big things no no Uh, the pants weigh a kilo so really oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) tight knit bulky yarn well i suppose you've got two fleeces from one sheep yes yes yeah yeah (laughs) So speaking of big projects, I understand that you have a book that's out in a second edition right now. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Um, Knit Spin Sweden is a book mm-hmm. by Sarah Wolf, and I am a co-author. 
and she dives into uh, mainly knitting history and how knitting came to Sweden. And, and it's sort of a travel book for knitters mm. to Sweden. Uh, and she lists different where you can find yarn from Swedish breeds and, and interesting places to go wool-wise. And I wrote a section about spinning wool from Swedish breeds. And then I sent the spun the yarn that I had spun to Sarah in the US and she knitted a, a swatch and, and wrote about what she experienced while knitting it. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was a very lovely cooperation. She she contacted me through my, my blog and said asked me to, to write uh, for her book. I think I sounded quite skeptical in her eyes, in her ears, <laughs> but I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't just something that wasn't serious. Uh, but then we developed a mm-hmm. friendship and we met actually in, in uh, Sweden on a sheep festival that is actually going on, on right now. It was in early 2020, so exactly three years ago. Uh, this sheep festival mm-hmm. in a very small town of perhaps 10,000 people. And for the festival, about 10,000 people come there. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a very special place to be. Uh, and sh- they landed in, in Stockholm and rented a car and brought me with them to this little town, about five hours uh, drive from Stockholm. And then we, we um, talked and talked and talked. And then two weeks later, bam, Sweden was closed because of the pandemic. And But nobody from, I think there were 10 or 13,000 visitors on the festival, but nobody got sick. Um, yeah. So I was just uh, texting Sarah and said, it, it's the festival time and I miss you because that's when we first met. Yeah. The last few years have definitely been a time for people to connect online. And so mm-hmm. if, if you had an established sort of practice of, blogging and, and releasing videos that already made you more connected with then than folks who were just sort of trying to discover how do I meet other people who are interested in the same things that I am online. Yeah. And I think I, I, I noticed an increased activity on my, my different channels mm-hmm. during the pandemic. So what project are you excited to start next? There are in Sweden, I think five fulling mills. Oh, yes. Five surviving fulling mills. And it's a mill with that is driven by water with large wooden sort of beams that in the water stomp into tubs with water where you put wool to mm-hmm. fill it. And I have a um, wool traveling club together with mm-hmm. four friends and our plans for the wool journey of 23 and 24 are about weaving and then stomping our wool or weaves in one of those folding mills. So it is, it's woven fabric that's fold. It's not, yes. it's not felt where you no, start from loose fabric. Exactly. It's woven fabric. So, so you, you would weave quite uh, loosely to make it mm-hmm. com- compact into a fold fabric. And do they take fabric that other people have? It doesn't have to be industrially or commercially woven. Will they take fabric that, for example, you have woven? Yes. These mills are, I think the one that I'm, uh, mostly that I know of that I've visited used to be an industry industrial site fr- uh, and working in the 17th century. So it used to be an industry, uh, but now it's it's mainly for for showing what it is about. Uh, and a few crafting schools open this mill uh, on certain weeks where where they do 
where they have woven woven and, and are fooling their their weaves so so there are people who have access to these uh, mills and that we can hire to to teach us how to do it uh, i mean this is a it's not a playground. It's it's very it can be very dangerous right. because the, there's a lot of power in these mills and these uh, beams that are that are banging the the uh, mm-hmm. the, the uh, weaves for about I yeah. think it takes about six hours or something to full oh fabric. Goodness. Yeah, if you would do it by hand or by foot, it would take about twenty four hours or something. I've seen a walking yeah w a u l k i n g yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the one I have seen definitely didn't take that long, but it was very strenuous. Yeah, it would be, definitely. It was a communal activity. There was singing involved, mm-hmm. but, you know, you were banging the cloth on the table and moving it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you must have to meet certain specifications. You can't just give them a little scrap of something. It no, must, it must have I think to it has to be at least 20 meters. Uh, so that's why we're starting now uh, for mm-hmm. a fulling mill spinning a uh, wool journey for 24 so, so we have to gather things, the five of us, uh, to, to be able to meet that uh, specifications. You're not each going to do 20 meters? No, You're no, together, to together in total. Okay. At least. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That is a lot of work. Yeah. So I've, I've finished one weave and, and uh, my, my next project will probably be another weave that I will weave to full in the mill. And then do you have to join them together or how does that work? Uh, I think we will learn how to do it. Nice. I have no idea yet. I see. <laughs> but that would probably be be a, a, a reasonable approach to, to just lightly tack them together to make mm-hmm. them, keep them together. Do you have a thought for what you're going to do with the fold fabric or no. is it that you'll get there? I think it will tell me what to do with it when I see yeah. how, how the, the structure gets and so on. I have not heard of a, f- I'm sure that there used to be fulling mills everywhere, but I have not heard of a working fulling mill before. I, I did um, check it on Wikipedia to see just to see the translation of the word vadmal stamp. Vadmal is a very thick fold uh, fabric, and stamp is the stomping. And the picture I got was something different. It was still a fulling mill, but not ri- driven by water. It was it was more horizontal thing that was banging on the wool mm. in Britain, I think. So there would probably be different kinds. I'm also fascinated by this idea of a wool traveling club. Can you tell me more about, it, it sounds like you actually have a program and it's not just something kind of ad hoc. No, we, we make one journey every year mm-hmm. with, one, with one exception, I think. The first year we went to Shetland for Shetland Wool Week in 2015. I, I started it with two friends. I said I, I wanted to go on courses, uh, spinning courses and there weren't that many in Sweden, at least not then. And I figured that if we are a group, we can hire the teacher we want to have our own spinning group. So I asked two of my spinning friends and asked them to ask one person each. So there's five of us. And after Shuttle Wool Week, at least two of us have stopped flying. So we generally go within Sweden by train. And we decide together where we want to go, what we want to do, what teacher we are interested in. And so decided together where we will go. So it's a lovely time. We don't really meet at other times at all during the year. We work from different parts of Sweden. So it's nice to just gather for a weekend, learn everything about everybody's family and children and, and what have you, and then spread out like the wind. It's a very special context to, to meet in. We, 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 
connect instantly where, when we meet, but we don't meet, meet mm -hmm. otherwise during the year. Last time uh, was in September. We went to a very small village called Dala Fluda, which has a very rich textile heritage and especially an embroidery technique called pour sum. That is, means pour means on, sum is seam, so it's a seam on top of. So you have quite, not bulky, but very airy, at least four ply yarn, and you embroider these very rich, bombastic, flowery motifs with, with very many mm -hmm. leaves and petals and, 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 and uh, bouquets of richness, rich colors, rich, uh, richly ornated. And it's very, very, it's supposed to show you that I, I am a good embroiders. I'm a good, I will be a good wife for you. Uh, yes. And everybody will show their porcelain accessories in church on Sunday uh, when this was uh, mm -hmm. back in the days. And so it's a beautiful technique. Uh, and it was lovely to just learn something completely new. That wasn't, in, it was wool related, but not spinning related at all, because I wouldn't dare to, to spin this kind of yarn myself. <laughs> That's one of the questions I had, was whether you're using commercial yarn at all. Uh, generally, like. no. I don't buy commercial, I don't buy yarn, I spin it, but but for this, I mean, I'm not a dyer and you need these very vibrant colors for porcelain embroideries. So I said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I, I'm using the yarns that are recommended for this technique. But it's wool, It's I don't think it's Swedish wool, but it's it's wool and it's it's uh, it's a lovely technique. You mentioned that there didn't, that when you started, there weren't very many festivals. You said it, at least not then. Have there gotten to be more now? Learning opportunities? I think so. Perhaps uh, after the pandemic, but before that as well, I think uh, more people teach spinning, more people are interested in spinning and wool. So yes, there are more opportunities. But it's also very lovely to, to just hire our own teacher for the weekend, to have a very close set, close uh, context to be just a five of us. I know a lot of people who get together to go to festivals, but there's something really special and intimate about just having the five of you on the journey together. Yeah. Not, you know, we're all going to go to this big event. Mm -hmm. Yes. It was in our first journey in, 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 uh, in Shetland, but we stayed in one apartment. So there was just, a, well, actually only four then. So, so we had still had our very close knit group. Well, Josefin, I... I'm just so excited to see what you work on next. I love seeing your pictures and I will be excited to hear more about your foaling adventures. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely. Thanks to Train My Silks for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for listening to the Long Thread Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate the show and leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Thanks again.